Mark chapter number one, and uh, we're down here in verse 16. We actually looked down through verse 20 last time, but uh, we're going to go back here to verse 16 and uh, just kind of pick up and, and begin to kind of move into the chapter. Uh, verse 16, uh, now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further, thence he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who was also in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. Now, obviously, you've got Simon and Andrew, so Peter and Andrew, and then you've got another set of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. So you've got two groups here. Uh, these guys are fishermen. They're commercial fishermen, so they're independent businessmen, evidently a very large outfit if they have, in verse 20, hired servants as well. So it's not just a rowboat and they're out doing so these guys are um, very uh, uh, well off in the business, if you will. When they, first, when they leave and join the Lord, and then later Peter will say, hey, what about us who forsook everything? They left a very lucrative business here to go and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, last time we talked about these guys, did we look at John 1 last time? I don't remember if we did. Go over to John 1. I think I, we mentioned it. Uh, John 1, if you will. Um, this event in Mark 1 is not the event in John 1. Between Mark 1, verse 13, and Mark 1, 14, five chapters of the Gospel of John take place. And in John 1, if you look here at verse, um, oh, not, well, let's see, 19, get down to verse 35. And again the next day after John stood, and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Did we look at this last time? Okay. All right. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He said unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. All right, so you've got John speaking. You've got two disciples there. One of them Simon. Uh, one of them is Andrew. Verse 41, He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is, uh, which is by interpretation a stone. Now, notice what happens. Two disciples of John the Baptist are there. They see the Lord walk by. John speaks and says, Behold the Lamb of God. Simon, or Andrew goes to him and says, 
where are you going? Who are you? And he says what? Come and see where I dwell. And they go and spend the evening with him. Verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus. And when uh, I'm sorry, verse 43. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, uh, was of Bethsaida the city of Andrew and, Phil, uh, and Peter. And Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there be any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. And off they go. So when you come back here to Mark 1, 16, now you have Andrew and Peter and you have John, and you have um, James, okay? This is not their conversion, Mark 1. They are already a members of the little flock. They have already participated in John's baptism. They are disciples of John first, okay? So here in Mark 1.16, when he comes, all right, then he, he sees them and he says, come, I will make you fishers of men. Now, there's something very specific about that, and we'll just no, look at that here in just a minute. But back in Mark 1, 14, they are out on the job, if you will, but they were disciples of John. Now, in verse 14, where is John the Baptist? He's in prison. So now the Lord goes out, collects up these guys, and says, hey, I, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, think about John 1. They had seen the Lord already. John says, what? Behold the Lamb of God. There he is. They go, they question him. They, they follow him. They uh, Come back over there to John 3. They go in and they eat dinner with him, they talk to him, and then they leave, evidently. And when they leave, then they go about their thing, and John the Baptist is thrown in jail and all prison and so forth, and then the Lord comes, and get it, the thing to remember here is that they were first disciples of John the Baptist, then they became followers, disciples, apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. So these guys are already members of the little flock. They're in John 1. Nathaniel, he... <laughs> He, he's like, what, what good can come out of Nazareth? I mean, he's already, he, they know who, that's what, what did Peter say there? Uh, Simon, uh, uh, Andrew says there in John 1, we found the Messiah. Then Philip says, we found of him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write. Jesus Nath, the son of Joseph. See, they know who they're looking for. They're well aware of it. They're not sitting around here going, oh, is, he, is it him? Is it? They know who they're looking for. Now, in John 3, John the Baptist's disciples are beginning to leave and go follow Christ. Some of them are getting jealous. Some of them pitching a fit a little bit. And John makes a great statement in verse 30 about what is happening. Because they asked John, Aren't you worried about 
them leaving and so forth. And he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. You see, John knows that he's just the crier in the wilderness. He's just the announcer. And John the Baptist's disciples are now being called to go follow the Messiah. That's the point. Okay, now go back to Mark 1. So when you read the call here of Peter and Andrew and James and John, it's not John 1 event. The John 1 event has already happened. They're familiar with who the Lord is. They're not a, oh, hey, you know. <laughs> you see the Sunday school material and the Lord walks by and all this halo glow and they go, ooh, and go after him. And that's not the idea at all. These guys are well aware of who's going on and what's going on and who he is. They've already run into him. John's in prison. And John being in prison, it happens a little later than John 1, okay? Now, the fascinating thing about this is what he says to them in verse 17. Mark 1, 17, And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Now, when he says fishers of men, over the years, the Denominations use that fisherman, fisherman's club, and it's a gospel club where you go out and you have you wear a little fish hook, you know, and and all this stuff. It's not that at all. Okay, uh, come back with me to Jeremiah 16. Notice what this is about. He he's it's a very when he says I'll make you fishers of men. He's not talking about going out and evangelizing and doing different things. He's rather talking about here about gathering together that, the little flock of believers in Israel. And what we're going to see is, is this group of fishers, they're going to be pulled together, and then they're going to go out and gather up the little flock out of apostate Israel and that's that little flock, that believing remnant that is being gathered together. By the way, they are already a part of the little flock. How do you get in the little flock? First thing is, is to be baptized of John. He's the, door, he's the porter, and there's the door. So what Christ is doing, it, by the way, what did Christ say? I came to seek and to save that which is what? Lost. He says, I am sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You see, there's different phrases that he uses to describe the gathering together of the little flock, the believing remnant. And this thing about fishers of men is another one of those metaphors that will trigger the thinking here, Jeremiah 16, 12, and ye have done worse than your fathers. Now he's talking to the generation in Israel that's facing Babylonian captivity, being carried away. The fifth course of judgment, Leviticus 26, is on them. You have done worse than your fathers. For, behold, ye walk every one after the imagination of his evil heart, that they may not hearken unto me. Therefore... Will I cast you out of this land into a land that ye know not, neither ye nor your fathers? And there shall ye serve other gods day and night. 
where I will not show you favor. Babylonian captivity. Cast them out. Cast them out into what? Captivity. That's exactly what's going to happen to them. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be said, the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands whither he had driven them. And I will bring them again into their land that I gave unto their fathers. Think about that. Think about what he just said there. Always up to this point, it was about the Lord that had delivered us out of Egypt. Moving forward, Egypt won't even be mentioned. It'll be mentioned about the Lord that brought us up out of captivity, the land there. He's going to bring us out of this bigger captivity into the kingdom. Verse 16, Behold, I will send for many, there it is, fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And after will I send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. Notice he's going to send fishers. He's going to send fishers of men. It's a group of people here that he's going to gather together and then send out into that apostate nation to gather out that scattered remnant, because in, they're in captivity, of Israel. He's going to send hunters. What are they going to do? They're going to go hunt up. They're, they're looking for. When we go hunting, we usually go up a little bit and we do some scouting. You know, you go out and you're looking for a sign, you're looking for trails, you're looking for different things because it's like, well, okay, here's the game trail. So we want to be like right there and over there. So, you know, we don't want to be on the trail because then you're too close, but you don't want to be, you know, so you're, you're, you're looking for them. Verse 17, for my eyes are upon all their ways. They are not hid from my face, neither is their iniquity hid from mine eyes. And first I will recompense their iniquity and their sin double, because they have defiled my land. They have filled mine inheritance with carcasses of their detestable and abominable ways. Uh, recompense double. I mean, you know, that's the whole thing. First, they, they he's going to pay them back double. They have corrupted themselves, and then they corrupted the land. There's the double. And again, you know, you go over to Ezekiel 36, that great passage there about the restoration of, uh, of Israel. And the first part of that chapter is all about how, he's gonna, how Israel has defiled themselves and the land. And guess what? Now the land and the people need to be cleansed. So we get 70 years to do the land, and then we get 70 weeks of years to do the other. And you got all this going on here. The payback is double. Now watch verse 19. O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth and shall say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profits. Look at that. The Gentiles are going to get converted. They're going to say, our fathers bought into a lie program, and we got sucked into it. We don't want that. We want the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Israel. He's talking about the kingdom. 
Zechariah over there, ten Gentiles grab onto the skirt of one Jew and into the kingdom they go. That's the idea here. Verse 20, shall a man make gods unto himself? And they are no gods. Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know my hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is Jehovah, the Lord. In order to do that, in the very beginning, what does he send out? Fishers. He sends out folks to gather up that believing remnant. And think about what kind, go back to, to Mark 1, and on, or on your way, stop in Matthew 13. Think about the fishers, okay? They're fishers of men. What kind of fishing do they do? Do they use a rod and a reel? No. They don't use, they use a net, don't they? They're net fishing, and if you've ever think, seen, them, seen net fishing, you go out and you stand at the bow of the boat and you throw out the net and you gather it in. And when you gather it in, you gather everything in, good and bad, right? Look at Matthew 13. By the way, in Mark 1, they're mending their nets. That's how you know. So now it's what kind of fishing are they doing? They're fishers. They're out there gathering together that believing remnant. Mark, uh, Matthew 13, verse 47 here in these uh, Mysteries of the Kingdom parables. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast in the sea and gathered of every kind. They're out fishing. What are they doing? They're gathering together the believing remnant, but they're gathering up every kind which when it was full, they drew it to shore and sat down and gathered the good into, the, into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angel shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's exactly what's going to happen. They're going to gather them together. Then they're going to separate the wheat from the chaff. They're going to come in and they're going to separate out the, the believing remnant from the apostate. And what does the separating is the baptism of John. You remember the passage in Luke. The publicans justified God being what? Baptized of John. The lawyers and the Pharisees rejecting the counsel of God. Why? They weren't baptized. They rejected it. So come back to Mark 1. Their ministry here is going to be to go out and gather up the good and cast out the bad into the fire. And he's literally going to use these guys to gather up these groups of people. He's using... The apostles here, to, to get it started, he's establishing the leaders of the government, 12 thrones, judging 12 tribes and so forth. He's literally going to gather them all up together here. And in his earthly ministry, Christ is gathering together the leaders. He's establishing the governmental structure of his earthly kingdom. And he uses this metaphor, fishers of men. Because that's what their role is. That's what they're doing. Okay? 
So to this point, we've seen the message. What's the message? Verse 14, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. There's the message. He's talking about what? Repent, the kingdom is at hand, believe the good news of the kingdom, here it is. Now he's gathered in verse 16 to 20, here's some ministers, here's some guys to come and work with him. And they're going to come now and they're going to go out and they're going to work on his behalf. Now starting in verse 21 to the end of the chapter, there's five miracles that are, he's going to bring in here now. So you've got message, ministers, and miracles, keeping the M's going, okay? <laughs> and what these miracles are going to do is validate his credentials. All right, verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Verse 27, And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commanded he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. Now think about this. When he teaches, he teaches differently than the scribes. When he, when he says there in verse 22, they're astounded at his doctrine. Well, what doctrine is he teaching? Bible doctrine. You see, the scribes, you're in Mark. Um, come over to, uh, look at Mark 7, just real quick here. You see, when the scribes teach, by the way, they teach with authority because they are the leaders. So the authority here is a little different issue. Look at Mark 7. Look at verse 7. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of who? Men. Verse 13. Making the word of God of none effect through your traditions which you have delivered, and many such things do you. So when he, when he comes and teaches, he's not teaching in that vain religious system that the elders, the traditions of men's teaching. Rather, he's over here, he takes the word of God, and he just simply teaches what God's word says, and the people listening recognize the difference. He comes teaching with authority that comes from teaching the Word of God. So it comes from God himself. Now we realize, go back to Mark 1, we realize that the Lord is God, but he's teaching first. And then he's going to perform a miracle to do what? Validate what he says. Now you remember last time we looked at Luke 8 verse 1. Preaching and showing. You're in Mark. Look at chapter 16 quickly. Mark 16. So what he's doing here, when they see the miracles, they, he's going to see the doctrine, they get what's being taught. Mark 16, 20. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and 
confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Remember that as we look at miracles, as we go through, they had a purpose. And their purpose is to validate, it's to confirm what was just said, what was just taught. Okay? So when we see miracles here, we're going to see five of them, and we'll see more as we go. We have to remember what their design is and what they're doing. Uh, come back with me to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10, verse number 1. And, and that's important here because he's not doing miracles just to prove that he's God. He doesn't need to do that. But rather he's showing, confirming the message and so forth. Look at Matthew 10. Look at verse 1. And when he had called unto his, him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against, one, unclean spirits to cast them out, and two, and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Casting out the unclean spirits, come back with me to Isaiah 35, casting out the unclean spirits and healing the sick are the two great signs of the Messiah but also of the coming of the kingdom. That's why in Matthew 10, he, Isaiah 35, that's why in Matthew 10, he's giving it to the 12. But notice something in Isaiah 35, because what he's doing is he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Isaiah 35, verse 1. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as a rose, as the rose. So the land is restored. This is all about the kingdom and the kingdom blessing. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it, the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God, strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. They're going to see the glory. Verse 4, say to them that are of fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with the recompense. He will come and save you. Behold your God. Now watch verse 5. Then. Then when? <laughs> When's the then? When he, when when God, your God will come with vengeance, with a recompense, he will come and save you. So when God comes and saves you, then, verse 5, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert, and the parched ground shall become a pool, and on and on you go. So when... God comes to save you, this stuff's going to start happening. There's going to be the healing of the, of the sick. In Matthew 11, John the Baptist sends some disciples, he's in jail, over there and, and to Christ and says, are you the Messiah? Are you Christ? And he said, you tell John to remember what he saw. What, did he, what do we see the Lord doing? We see the Lord healing the blind and dealing with the sickness. 
That's why Isaiah 33, uh, if you look back over here at Isaiah 33, verse 24, and the inhabitants shall not say, I am sick, sick, the people that dwell therein, and that's in the kingdom, shall be forgiven there, and they, no more sickness. That's why verse 10 of 35 says, sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Why? Because God is there. He's vengeance. He's uh, coming to save them, to deliver them. And guess what? <laughs> when the kingdom comes, deliverance is there. But then also, so is the unclean spirits. So when Christ comes and does a miracle that involves healing sick, what's it showing? He's who? He's God. He's the Messiah. Now come over to Zechariah 13. Now we know from the book of the Revelation that Satan's going to be cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. He's going to be loosed and then he's going to be cast in a lake of fire. So ultimately in the kingdom, the unclean spirits is what the book calls them, or demons. Not, by the way, they don't call them devils. In the Greek, devils was not a bad thing. They, they thought that Socrates and those guys all had devils, not meaning in a bad, like we think about it being bad. So you'll see demons or unclean spirits. That's the bad devils, okay? Zechariah 13, if you look at verse 2, and it shall come to pass in that day. Okay, what day is that? Well, verse 1, in that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for... He's talking about the second coming and the kingdom. In that day saith the Lord of hosts, verse 2, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land and they shall no more be remembered. Also, I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. So what's he going to get rid of? He's going to dispossess the unclean spirit. So when you come back to Mark 1, and really all of the miracles in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are, are here to validate who he is and also to give them a foretaste of what Hebrews 6 calls the power of the world to come. Okay? So when you think about it, it's confirming the word and the message, and it's confirming who he is, because when the Messiah shows up, what's he going to do? He's going to cast out the unclean spirits, and he's going to heal the sick. That's what the prophet said. When Nathaniel and those guys said, hey, this, he's who Moses said, and the prophet said, we saw that in just a minute ago, that's how they know, because look at what he's doing. Okay? So... When you think about these miracles here, as we're going to look at it, look at the first one here, the first couple, you have to remember that. By the way, remember the miracles are usually always associated in Scripture with deliverance. Think about Moses in Exodus 4. God gave Moses two big signs. You know what they were? Take your hand, put them in your bosom, comes out leprosy, sin, Right? Put it back in, it comes out pure. There's healing the sickness, healing the disease. Then he gave him a rod, a staff, and what did he do? Put it down, it became a snake, pick it up, it's back to a rod. Well, when he went into Pharaoh, who'd he fight against? Janice and Jamboree's there. What'd they do? Two to one, looks like the, the devil's winning, and yet he dis dispersed the unclean spirit. That's what's happening here. Now, verse 21, Mark 1, 21. And they went into Capernaum. 
And straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. What was he teaching? Verse 14 and 15. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Repent. The kingdom is at hand. Get ready. Here it comes. Time is fulfilled. The time is not. It's time to repent and believe the gospel of the kingdom. And they were astonished at his doctrine. And he taught, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Again, he's not in the vain religion. He's sitting over here saying, the verses say what the verses say. The time is here. It's time to get ready to go. Repent. Okay? Verse 23. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. Now think about, now watch carefully. Saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Now think about this. Verse 23. A man. Then he's got an unclean spirit. So how many are we dealing with? Two. Okay. There's two. Notice in verse 24, he says, let us alone. Now in Mark 5, we're going to, we'll deal with the legion guy because he's got many <laughs> there. Okay. But here, there's two of them. He knows who the Lord is. I know, who, I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Verse 25, and Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. He rebuked, hold it, get out of him. Verse 26, and when the unclean spirit had torn him, that's the man, and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. Look at what he's doing. That unclean spirit, he's in the man. They're working together. They're in league together here. The spirit speaking through the guy, the unclean spirit speaking through. So what you see is a picture of the satanic program, of the satanic policy to use the demons, to use the unclean spirits to come in and to possess Israel. That's what you're seeing a picture of. To go in and to, when they possess Israel, then they begin to work with apostate Israel in corrupting the nation, causing the nation to, new, to not be usable by God. So what, is, what does God do? I'm going to send fishers out. We're going to cast a net, and we're going to get the believing remnant, the good fish, into the vessel, and the rest of you are going to go burn up in the lake of fire. We're going to separate you out. Now, notice something here in, Ma- in, in the verse. <clears throat> verse 24. He said, the unclean spirit says, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to, notice this, destroy us? Now, there's something here that, in that destroy us. Hold on here. Look over at Matthew 8. Now, in Matthew 8, this is a different incident, okay? But I want you to see what the, the, the devil here says, the unclean spirit here says. Actually, Matthew 8 lines up with the Mark 5 and the Legion, okay, incident. 
Matthew 8, 28. And when he was come to the other side in the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to, notice, torment us, but watch, before the time. See that? These guys, first of all, they know who he is. James 2 over there says the devils believe and tremble. They know who he is. They know he's the one that created them. They know that he's creator God. But yet, notice this issue of torment us before the time and destroy us. They know, you're in Matthew, come over to Matthew 25. They were there... When, God did, when, when the Lord did this, Matthew 25, 41. You see, they know that there is a time for their destruction. And they're looking at Christ going, wait a minute, you said the time's fulfilled and we're here. We're not, it isn't time for you to destroy us yet. That's coming in the future. What are you doing here now? You're not supposed to be doing this. <laughs> you see, they know the program too. Now, look at Matthew 25, 41. Then set, this is a picture of the kingdom. Verse 31, he's sitting upon the throne of his glory. Verse 41, then said he also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That lake of fire event. You see, that's how they know it's not time to be destroyed. They know in the kingdom what's going to happen to them. They're going to be destroyed. They Go back to Mark 1. Jesus Christ, he prepared the lake of fire to stop that rebellion in the angelic host, prepared hell and the lake of fire that stops the rebellion. And they were present when he did it. They were there. They know that. They know 1 John 3 that he was manifested to destroy the work of the devil. They know that. He's come to do that. There's a time schedule for him to do it. Yet here, what's he doing? He's contending with them. And you know what? They start arguing with him. <laughs> and their argument is, is, it's not time yet. What are you doing? You can't. No, it's not time yet. Now, Mark 1, look at verse 25. I mean, you think about this here. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. He's arguing with him. You remember over there in Acts when Paul's dealing with, uh, it's in Acts 19, verse 15. And he says, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? They know what's going on. They're not dummies. They're not ignorant. They are sitting there and that unclean, he, again, he just starts arguing. And the Lord goes, Shut up. Get out of him. Verse 26, And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out and torn him. He come, cried. He comes out kicking and screaming. Now, again, he still comes out. But he's doing as much damage as he can in rebellion to God's word. Christ has come to cast them out of the land and into torments. 
He's come to deliver the nation from the satanic captivity. And he does this as a demonstration. I'm preaching the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom is at hand. And what's going to happen when the kingdom comes is these unclean spirits are going to be dispersed, kicked out of the nation. So verse 27 And they were all amazed in so much that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? Look at the authority. Look, what is this doctrine? Even, and the authority, even the unclean spirits, we've been trying for weeks to get that guy out of him. And he comes in and speaks a word or two, and and they obey him. And they do obey him. They watched what he did. They listened to what he said. They listen to him be validated as thou art the Holy One of God from an unclean spirit's mouth, no less. They saw God's word work and they saw the deliverance from that satanic captivity and they saw it happen by the authority of God's word through Christ. That's fascinating. He says, look guys, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's time to get right. And by the way, the first sign that you need to understand, Matthew 10, verse 1, is I'm casting out unclean spirits. That's exactly what Zechariah said would happen when I showed up. Verse 28, and what? Immediately, key word in Mark, immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. They're delivered, and what happened? Immediately the fame goes out. There's no delay in it. Verse 29, and forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and Anon, they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. Now think about this. They're in the synagogue. They have this great miracle happen that validates, here's Messiah. Sign number one, the unclean spirits are gone. What's sign number two? Going to heal all manner of sickness and illness, right? So where do they go? They go to Peter's house. Now think about this carefully. You've got Andrew and Peter, James and John, the Lord, Peter's wife, and his mother-in-law, and probably a bunch of kids. So Peter's a great pope, okay? All right, let's give him 10 people underneath. Now, Peter does not know mother-in-law is sick. If he did, you know what he would not have done? Brought five or six guys home with him from church for lunch. Would you? I wouldn't. When my wife stays home sick, I don't bring a bunch of people over after church. (laughs) What did Peter do? Peter. So what you're going to see here is Peter's observation or concern about the healing ministry of Christ. Peter doesn't know Anon, and they tell him of her. He doesn't know she's sick. Peter does not bring the Lord home to heal his mother-in-law. He doesn't even know. 
By the way, in Luke 4, the doctor's viewpoint is that she has a great fever. Peter's view of the healing ministry of Christ wasn't some big thing, wasn't the most important thing in life. Rather, he looked at it for what it was, the sign of who he is. Rather, Peter's not sitting there going, hey, Lord, you did that guy, you got to come home. My mother-in-law is sick. Now, if you have a mother-in-law, you're usually not begging for someone to heal her, you know, usually. But he didn't say that. They get home. Notice what the servant does, verse 31. He came and took her by the hand and what? Lifted her up. That's not found, the lifted up part is not found in Matthew or Luke. This is what the, what does the servant do? By the way, he took her by the hand. The touch is what healed her. And then he lifts her up immediately. I love that. Immediately the fever left her. You know what that tells you? Immediately, healing in the Bible is never a recovery process. It's a miraculous restoration, instant restoration, not prolonged, not over time. It's an instant restoration, not a recovery. It's immediately because that's what the kingdom is going to produce. It's going to restore them immediately. Now, think about what mother-in-law, I think of that sound, mother-in-law, you know, has here. She has a fever. Again, Luke calls it a great fever. Come back with me to Deuteronomy 28. This is very important to catch here what's going on. Again, the unclean spirits, kicking them out. Now we have the healing of all manner of sickness and illness. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 15. Deuteronomy 28, 15. God, uh, but it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day, that all these, what? Curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. So there's going to be a list of curses here. When, they, when Israel does not obey the word of God, is off doing what they're not supposed to be doing, then the curses come in. Verse 22. The Lord shall smite thee with a consumption and with a fever. By the way, in Leviticus 26, it's called um, a burning ague. It's a high fever and with an inflammation and with an extreme burning. I'm in verse 22. And with the sword and with the blasting and with the mildew, and they shall pursue thee until thou perish. Look at that. Here's Peter's mother-in-law. He's at, she's at Peter's home. And what's she have? A great fever. Here's Israel. Just like the man with the unclean spirit in satanic captivity, under the curse, being afflicted with, with all these physical issues. Uh, over there, Moses calls it the botch of Egypt. Boy, I, I'd really like to see what that is, you know. Get a, 
they are sitting here underneath this curse of rebellion. And you know what happens? Come back there to Mark 1. What does the servant do? He comes in and he removes the curse. That curse of disobedience is removed by the Messiah. And the nation, in the picture of mother-in-law here, is restored back to full vigor and usefulness. And actually, she gets up and does what? Ministers, but unto who? Him. So you have a demonstration of what the Lord's preaching in verse 14 and 15 in these first two miracles. The demonstration is... The gospel of the kingdom. Here's the good news of the kingdom. You know what the kingdom's going to accomplish for you? Casting out the unclean spirits, healing all manner of illnesses and disease. And you know who's doing it? The Messiah is doing it. And oh, by the way, there he is right in your midst. Okay? Now, notice something real quick. Verse 21, where are they? Capernaum. Verse 29, they're into Peter's home. Verse 32, and at even, when the sun did set. Verse 35, and in the morning. All of this is in one day. It's bouncing. And that's Mark's immediately. Go, 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 go. Okay? Now, the hour's up, so believe it or not. We'll, so we'll pick up in verse 32, and we'll look at the rest, rest of these here. But just see, the Lord's preaching the good news of the kingdom, and then immediately he unclean spirits taken care of and healing of the illness, and it validates his credentials as the Messiah, as the one that John the Baptist says, there's the Lamb of God. Okay? And he does it in the presence of Andrew and Peter and James and John. Now, Peter, James, and John become the big three. Andrew's a close fourth, okay? And then he'll go and call, we'll see next in chapter 2, he'll go get Matthew, and then he starts getting the rest of them. In chapter 3, you have the, where he's chosen the 12. Think about that, Mark 3, you got the choosing of the 12, that's Matthew 10. It's like, that's how fast Mark is moving. That's Mark, Matthew 10, and Luke 6, Okay? So just see here tonight what Mark's doing. He's just getting the ball rolling. Israel is in satanic captivity. And because of that, we're going to get the fishers going. They're going to cast their net, bring everybody together. We're going to, John's baptism will do the dividing out. Meanwhile, what is the Messiah doing? He's healing the sick and he's casting out the unclean spirits. The thing that's needed for Israel to be restored back to full vigor, full usefulness. And he's doing it. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you here for Mark and this introduction as we get into the earthly ministry of our Lord as pictured here in the servant. We'll just thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.